smartest man in the world, Proofcast takes to the ether. This time, from the salubrious confines of the Corpus of Fruititude, or the Fortress of Proofitude, if you will, located somewhere and somewhere. There's a place for us. Someone, there's a place for us. This went all Vulcan, real quickly. Uh, Someone and uh, some time in uh, southern uh, Illinois, outside of California. Uh, let's jump right in, shall we? We're in the um, seventh month of the Trump administration now. And uh, well, it feels that way, doesn't it? You know, every day that passes, and, uh, and it's, uh, as Dana Gould once so brilliantly said, Watergate every day, uh, we can look forward to this for the next four years. But we hang our heads so very highly. Uh, we don't hang them. We, we, we push them forward uh, in a yoga-type pose where they stand erect off of our shoulders because I've gone through the crying and the denial, the grief and the pain and the agitation, and now my ass is simply on fire for the next four years. So we can look forward to that for everybody. Uh, we'll see how long that lasts, and it will be over four years, I'm guessing. Um, as we've discussed on the show, uh, there will be no more stories that include white people in them, uh, if it's humanly possible. Uh, no more stories about, um, I think they're called men. And uh, we're going to move right into the future as quickly as we possibly can. Um, let's go and uh, start with some dates of places we're going to be playing, um, because it's very important, and I've forgotten it the last million weeks. Uh, we'll be doing that vodcast in London at the Soho Theater on December 17th. It's always a good time. I don't know how many tickets are left. Um, last time we had a lot of fun. It was the day before the Brexit vote. So I'm hoping to take some of that magic back from our vote over here back to London and see if we can do a double Grigui uh, around the corner. Whammy, you didn't see it coming. Snoodler voodoo. Uh, and maybe alleviate some of the pain. And then we'll be in Paris at um, Shakespeare and Company. I'm, th- I'm not supposed to give that out, am I? Jennifer keeps telling me not to give it out, but I keep saying it. I don't think it's a public uh, event is what the deal is. You can go to the bookstore, which is lovely. It's in Paris, and we'll be there that week. Uh, then we'll be in uh, San Francisco for New Year's. That'll be the 29th, 30th, and 31st. The 29th will be uh, the vodcast at the Punchline in San Francisco. The 30th and 31st, a fabulous stand-up show. Last year, uh, FYI, I improvised the entire set on New Year's Eve because uh, two reasons. One, uh, I'm tired of hearing my material, even though it's so trenchant. Oh, my God. The thing is, I'm not, I'm not just satirical. I'm pointed. Uh, and I'm not just pointed. I'm silly. And I'm not just silly. I'm gay acting. So you get all those things going at once, and it's really funny. Um, and then, but the, so I, I'm hoping to improvise the whole thing. Obviously, we've got quite a lot to talk about. Uh, so we'll be talking about that. And, and when 2017 rolls around, don't leave us out of your plans. Come by a Proopcast. They're fun. They're educational, And uh, there'll be propaganda, I'm guessing, at every single one from here on out. Um, we're going to try to get, whether it's Planned Parenthood or um, what have you, even at, um, local homeless people, because everything, as you know, starts locally um, at every single event. And uh, we're going to try to be a font of information as the um, years wear on. Because the flood of disinformation lies and the blizzard of bullshit uh, has gathered up and settled firmly about our shoulders now. And it's time to blow through it with the cleansing, as we have here in L.A., leaf blower of truth and uh, uh, or the Proopinator. And that's what we're going to be using. We're going to clean your proop out with the Proopinator every week. We'll be at the Nerd Melt on the 9th of January. That's located in the um, Nerd Melt comic book store. It's in the back. Um, there's a bunch of guys sitting out there. They're on their computers. They're generally harmless. There's also a vintage book section, uh, which is very nice and good fun. Has little 70s books, paperbacks, whatnot. Um, for those of you who read more than pictures with words on them. Uh, then we'll be doing the vodcast at Bar Lubitsch in Western Hollywood. It isn't exactly across the street from the Pleasure Chest. I always say that it is because in my mind, it is. In my mind, it's right but 
up against the pleasure chest, rubbing it with frottage and pleasure, uh, forming a cone of uh, knowledge. It's just tea. Don't get too excited. And uh, But it's actually right next to um, a Russian deli that I've never been into, and I probably won't. Doesn't look that enticing. I'm not in. Go by all means. Come and tell me how it was. Have the sturgeon. Uh, that'll be on the 15th of January. Then we'll be in Burlington, Vermont, uh, at the uh, Bernie Sanders rally. He's asked me to come by and say a few words about what it's like to be a self-serving misogynist. And uh, maybe I got the dates wrong. I don't know. No. I'm going to Vermont. It's Bernie country. I welcome my Bernie brothers and sisters. A lot of you have been riding me. Several of you have broken up with me. I can understand that. You know how I feel, as General Patton once said, uh, and that's how I feel. I don't expect you to agree with me, and uh, we do not need to agree in order to get along. I don't have to agree with any uh, uh, people on the opposite side of the political spectrum from me in order to understand what they're doing or or to get along. Um, It's a mental gyration I'm quite used to and an emotional one that we all have to make compensations for. Um, What I don't uh, have is a bag of fucks to give about your feelings or how that applies to the show. If you don't have to listen to the show because you've disagreed with me, you don't want to rather, uh, of course you don't have to. It's your prerogative not to like Bobby Brown. Um, but if you, and I, my understanding is Bobby Brown would listen if he knew it existed. Uh, but my point is, uh, if you can't listen or won't listen uh, because of opinions I've espoused, uh, good for you. What a stand you're taking, Tiger. Look at you growing up all of a sudden. And uh, two, go away and then come back. You'll like it later. I promise you will. By the way, there's plenty of um, cis-oriented, um, totally sexist, right-wing, full-of-shit podcasts you can listen to. Those are easy to come by, so just spin your dial, baby. Um, if you can't stand the proops, stay out of the proops kitchen. I don't even know what that means. Uh, we'll be in Burlington, Vermont, the 26th through the 28th at what is called the Vermont Comedy Club. I'm looking forward to being there. And by the way, I noticed on the 26th when the uh, podcast is, there's an improv show right after the podcast. And I just want to tell the improv group. Let me just click on it here and see if I can find it. Uh, I want to tell the improv group that's playing subsequent to me. Um, there's been occasions where I've um, drank a little and gone longer than the actual allotted time my show gets. So I was wondering, improv group, um, let me look here and see where they are. The, the thing about operating a computer is it's very difficult for me. There's so many complex parts. Okay, calendar, that would be what you click on. Can't you do this another time, Greg? You know what? You don't have that much to do or you wouldn't be listening at all, is my, uh, my opinion. Um, I have pig stories. I have floating pig stories. Uh, let me entice you. And then later, of course, uh, lots of politics. Uh, who's playing there? There I am, Greg Krupp's live. And then there's a group called The Daily Grind on at 8.45. You're not going to make that curtain, Daily Grind. I love you. Uh, I'm going to give you a big plug on my show here. We have lots of listeners. What's your daily grind? In this hilarious show, our troop interviews audience members and invited guests about unusual jobs they've held in the past. Hence the group, it actually says hen, but I'm improving the grammar here. Hence the troop spins their tails into improvised comedy gold. Great if you enjoy Saturday Night Live, Keen Peel, Inside Amy Schumer, and whose line is it, comma, anyway. Hey, I'm on one of those shows. No fair guessing. Uh... And then their group, they're called the Unmentionables is the name of the group. Uh, and they look really nice. There's a cute picture of them there. Uh, I invite you to come to their show. It's on after mine. I also invite the Unmentionables to take a chill pill and chillax a little bit. I won't be that long. What time's theirs? Mine's at 7 or 7.45? Because theirs is at 
Mine's at, oh my God, I think there's a show on at six. What's happening at this comedy club? Door time, 6.30, show clock, seven, show o'clock. Um, I got arrested for showing my clock at the last show in Vermont. Um, Showtime's at seven. So that gives me till what, 8.30? I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Okay, improv, Nick. What, what were they called? <laughs> Daily Grind. Unmentionables. The Unmentionables. Thank you for mentioning them. Uh, I'll make it. I'll, I'm going to make it happen. I'm not going to be a weenie. I'm going to let you live your life. Um, also, one last gig, and then we're moving on. I want to talk to you about this because I'm going to try to do a little Portland-Seattle thing. And um, we're at the Crocodile in Seattle, Washington, which is a groovy, hip bar. And that'll be on March 5th. Tickets are already on sale. You can go to greatproofs.com. And uh, the Crocodile is going to be good fun. That's a Sunday night show, I believe it is, or is it a Monday night show? I don't have a calendar in front of me. So many questions, Greg. Uh, the paperback of The Smartest Book in the World comes out in February, and it will be in uh, Chevalier's Bookstore in Larchmont. That's here in Los Angeles. Larchmont has a little hero's place that's really fun to eat at. Um, they do uh, Greek food and souvlaki and whatnot. And we've seen uh, Donald Pleasance there. And... Uh, Oh, Donald Pleasance is quite dead. We saw Donald Pleasance there in a flaming Spanakopita. He appeared over the restaurant. He was, you know why I said that? Because we watched Fantastic Voyage last week. Jennifer and I watched Fantastic Voyage, which is neither, okay? It's not a voyage and it's not fantastic. When I was little, I thought it was the greatest movie of all time. Here's the plot. Um, a, a spy is coming, he's, uh, a general gets hit by, uh, a scientist gets hit by a spy car. And uh, it collides with his car and he's got terrible injuries. And so Stephen Boyd is brought in um, so that he can act wooden in a small ship. And um, uh, uh, what's his, what's that cat's name? He's the reporter. He plays Jackson Bentley in um, Lawrence of Arabia. That actor play is the doctor. Who, and Raquel Welch is his hot assistant. And all I remember when I was a kid was her uh, scuba outfit and her swimming around in the corpuscles and whatnot. And then when we watch the movie again, that seems like two seconds long. And you're like... I had based an entire memory of something fantastic and erotic and sci-fi on something that was 18 seconds long that blew. It was like watching H.R. Puff and stuff fight some seaweed. It was really not compelling sci-fi nor good filmmaking in any way. Watch it. It's very good. No, it's not that good. Uh, Raquel Welch is fantastic in it. Um, and no, she doesn't get down to her skivvies. It's that kind of movie. It's such a square, old 60s. And they followed it up on Turner Classic Movies with Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea with Walter Pigeon. I'm taking a nuclear-powered submarine around the world until all the men die of boredom. <laughs> Those Cold War movies really take the cake. Edmund O'Brien and Arthur O'Connell are the generals anxiously watching as a ship is made microscopic and put into our scientists to save him. So they go into his body and they're injected with a fucking needle into his body. And they, they, how will they get out? How will they get out? Through his eyeball. Did no one think of this? Because you can crawl around the eyeball. They're that small. They're the size of a nothing. So they go in. They're injected the whole ship. And then the ship's too weak to, like, deal with the currents of the heart and bloodstreams and shit. And it's attacked by corpuscles at one point. In any case, uh, it was uh, action-packed, full of gelatinous sea creatures that were supposed to be things that live inside your body. And they would say things like, my God, there's only 10 hours left. And stuff like that for like a year. And Edmund O'Brien's drinking coffee. And there's a full container of sugar. One of those coffee shop containers that has the little whiskey door on it. And it's glass and has a little screw top. And at the beginning of the movie, he pours some sugar in his coffee. And he pours more sugar in anyone's coffee since Curly from the Three Stooges poured sugar into coffee, right? 
like he pours half the thing in. Then later in the movie, when they're like, oh, my God, there's only 22 minutes left. He pours the last of the sugar into his coffee. He's evidently drank an entire container of sugar, right? A 16 ounce coffee shop container of sugar. And he goes, this is one hell of a time to run out of sugar. And you're like, I don't even understand. Because a tiny ship with Raquel Welch in it is inside a bad character actor. And Stephen Boyd is being sexist that this is what you do. Let me put it this way about Fantastic Voyage. It raised more questions than it solved. If you could miniaturize people to save them, which we do now with surgery, but if you could miniaturize a ship and put it inside people, wouldn't you think you'd have to deal with things like currents and stuff? When they get near the heart, they're like, oh my God, my hearing. They they, they go deaf from someone and they get into the ear canal. They, they have to go through the ear canal to get to the brain. So they go through the ear canal. And when they go through the ear canal, one of the generals goes on the loudspeaker and goes, everyone in the operating room, maintain utter silence or it could mean their death. And so a nurse, mind you, a nurse, not a doctor, they tag it on a woman, knocks a suture off a table or a, a scalpel rather. And the scalpel hits the deck in the hospital room, which to us merely makes a clanking noise like this. <laughs> In the movie, they all hold their heads like Star Trek and run from one side of the ship to the other and go, ah, did someone drop a scalpel? It's, that part was good. All right. But it's not. It, no amount of alcohol will make that movie funny. I'm just warning you on that one. If you're going to watch a sci-fi movie from the 50s, um, Forbidden Planet's quite good. Invaders from Mars. I have a weak spot for I Was a Teenage Werewolf. Um, but then the, there's also one called um, – there's one that's the Teenage Dracula one, and I can't think of the name of it because it's not I Was a Teenage Dracula horribly. But it takes place in a lesbian's girl school. How do you know it's lesbian? It's the 50s. And uh, uh, then there's I Was a Teenage Frankenstein, but that's not very good. I Was a Teenage Werewolf with Michael Landon. It has rich rewards. Uh the dad says to him before he leaves to go to work at night, hey, you should, uh, if you want dinner, there's some hamburger and a bowl in the refrigerator. And he goes, thanks, dad. And he goes, be sure to cook it this time. Because <laughs> he's a teenage werewolf. You see what he does? He eats raw meat when he's at home alone and has the greatest Everly Brothers hairdo. When he's not the werewolf, his hair's awesome. When he's the werewolf, his hair's really awesome. It's like it's like he's in a werewolf rock band. It's just this, you know, fucking great. Uh, what was it? Uh, 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 a long, long time ago on graduation day, right? Roses are red, my love. Violets are blue. Ooh, ooh. That's what his haircut's like. It's so Bobby Benton. Uh, paperback uh, book of smartest book in the world comes out. Chevalier's in Larchmont. So we saw not Donald Pleasance, but Donald Sutherland there. And he ordered lunch and uh, he ordered it just like he does on TV. He was like, I'll have the salad. You know, because it's Donald Sutherland. So that's Stentorian. Uh, the only time you know he's Canadian uh, and I, I know this is a cliche is he does actually, he doesn't say oot in a boot, but he does say a boot. And he does say sorry. Uh, those are your key words. When Canadians uh, and Canadians invade us as cannolis, when the cannoli invasion happens, I want to be one at the forefront. I want to be filling the tube. And I want to be sucking the cream out of the tube. And I want that part to be sampled. So if you're out there, I just want to hear on my Twitter feed, I want to suck the cream out of the tube. I want to suck the cream out of the tube over and over and over. 
and then write a libtard next to it. Like so many people have done for me this week. It's been very nice. Thank you for your participation in my Facebook and Twitter timelines. All you patriots who love America and have Pee-Pee the Frog and an American flag or a weird MAGA logo that you made. <clears throat> uh, it's nice having you aboard. Welcome to the block party, as they say. Um, uh, we saw Donald Sutherland there, and we also saw Fred Williamson. Now, if you don't know who Fred Williamson is, um, there's a lot of chop hockey movies from the 70s. He's also in a movie from the 90s by Larry Cohen called Original Gangsters. Fred Williamson... Uh, is a superb. I believe he's in the original Inglorious Bastards, is my recollection. I don't have his IMDb. Why don't you look it up? Because I want to talk to you. Uh, Fred Williamson was there. And when he played for the Oakland Raiders, he was known as the Hammer. And he did a Playgirl centerfold when I was a kid. Why do you remember this, Greg? Why do you remember which Playgirl centerfolds there were? Because he went on Merv Griffin. And when you came home from school, from elementary school, you watched Merv Griffin because it was on at 3.30. And Merv Griffin often had drunk, uh, coked-up actors from the 70s on. So it was a really fun show. And Eva Gabor was on all the time for no reason, other than she was kind of Merv, Merv Griffin's sort of known beard in Hollywood. Like, she was his pretend girlfriend, so no one would know he was gay, except everyone knew he was gay. By the way, I adore Merv Griffin, and this is no knock on him. I worked for Merv Griffin a bunch of times, and I did a bunch of pilots for him, none of which made it onto the air. And uh, I knew him, I met him. He had a little dog, and he was absolutely charming. And uh, he uh, he really did talk, if you remember what Merv Griffin spoke like on telly. He spoke like that in person, too. He only had one personality, and it was enthusiastic and interested. And he'd go, ooh, Ryan, those headphones look good. What kind are those? Panasonic, wow. We should get them as a sponsor, don't you think? Like he, that's how everything was with Merv Griffin. And he would gossip, and like I say, I had a little dog. And uh, I got to do, I think I told this when Joan, when Jackie Collins passed away, I did it, uh, a Merv Griffin pilot with her and it was called like, men are different too. You know, it was one of those dating things and it was her and a dating expert, me and Dave Thomas, the comedian. And so I did a panel and Eleanor Mondell, God rest her soul, was the host of it. This was a pilot in the early 2000s and Jackie Collins was there and she had a leopard top and her hair teased up like a, a scared uh, marmoset, just fantastic, like those golden marmosets that you see in the zoo that have the weird top knot. And uh, she was sensational fun. I really admired Jackie Collins. Um, not the writing, you guys. <laughs> I mean her. To make it as an author uh, and sell as many books as she did and be as powerful as she was. Uh, and I love Joan too. I don't care if she's a ride old Tory. Uh, Chevalier is <laughs> in Larchmont on the 23rd. So we see Fred Williamson. And we go over to him and we go, what brings you to town? He goes, well, if you don't mind my Fred Williamson impression, you weren't there, but Jennifer is here and she'll vouch for me that it sounded something like this. I live out in Palm Springs. I just come into town and then I get my buns back out there as fast as I can. And <laughs> we were like, yes, he said, I get my buns back out there. By the way, you'll look up Fred Williamson after you listen to this episode. He's a handsome devil, and he still is. Uh, he's got to be in his 60s, I should think, maybe 70s now. Gorgeous with the mustache. Uh, anyways, uh, so that what's the name of that place? In Petite Greek, I think it's called? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there he is. Clint Eastwood versus Fred Williamson. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, I remember a, a Chopsaki movie's in where he says, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, uh, his girlfriend makes some coffee there in Hong Kong and he gets up in the morning and Fred Williamson, right? He's wearing a gi 
And he walks over to the pot and he goes, oh, coffee, fantastic. Good morning, Mama-san, like that. And at that point, this is what makes those movies great. Um, it was really good. In any case, uh, so if you go uh, to Larchmont, hey, the Petite Greek, there's also, yeah, there you see stars there. We've seen Caroline Ray, America's Sweetheart, Canadian's uh, most sensational comedian. Um, should we seen her there? Many people. And then the 28th of February, we'll be at Diesel in Brentwood. Have we ever been to Diesel in Brentwood? Is that the one in the mall? Is it in the Country Mart? Oh, the Country Mart's good fun. We saw Gavin Newsom, uh, the California lieutenant governor there, who, when he was mayor of San Francisco, slept with his w campaign manager's wife, was it? And then had to go into coke and booze rehab and then was reelected. And this is what I love about the city I used to call my own before uh, Mark Zuckerberg moved there and tainted the place with his hideousness. Uh, in any case, uh, Whose Line is coming back uh, for season five. We're shooting in uh, February and March. Uh, so I'll, we'll be back on next spring, I reckon. Uh, for those of you who are, always ask me, don't you miss being on the show? Mm, not so much. Uh, um, I just got off a giant tour with Ryan. Did the Palladium with Colin in the summer. And uh, I don't know what's happening with all that jazz. We'll be back on the road with Who's Live anyway in April and May, and the TV show Who's Line will be back on just to answer your questions. Uh, I'm trying to cover all this now because we've got a lot to get through. Um, Jennifer gave me this. Uh, no, Andy Michael, Andy Michelle, her handle, her Twitter handle is at Andy Michelle 87. And this is from the San Jose Mercury News. Jennifer also gave me this story and about a thousand other people. So I thank you everyone who emailed me with it and everyone who tweeted me with it. You'll, you'll know what story it is as soon as I start the proceedings here. Therapy pig greeting travelers at San Francisco. Therapy pig, therapy pig, where do you roam? Though your hooves are cloven and your things are stroven, why won't you come home, therapy pig? Don't pet the back bristle, therapy pig. Look at the tail, therapy pig. I'm manic reactive. Um... Pig to greet travelers at San Francisco Airport. Lilu is the newest member of the airport's WAG Brigade of therapy animals. The WAG Brigade, they're coming for you. With a bark and a wolf, a quack and a moo. Um, this has certainly been the year for flying pigs, says the opening sentence of this story from the San Jose Mercury by Joan Morris. If she means... The fact that Trump won is when pigs fucking flew. She's right about that one, baby. Uh, does everything have to be political with you? Yeah. This has certainly been the year for flying pigs, but the San Francisco International Airport has the first official one. Although Lilu, a Juliana breed pig, those are those colorfully there, kind of brown and pinky, uh, doesn't actually fly. That's the scientific description of a Juliana, by the way. A lot of people would say, is it like a do-rock? Uh, which is the best name for a pig, of any pig. Because you want to ask those pigs, and then they would answer, yeah, it's in our name. We do-rock. Uh, <laughs> a ju doesn't actually fly. <laughs> uh, I love newspaper writing so much. Although Lilu, a Juliana breed pig, doesn't actually fly. <laughs> That's me hyperventilating after I typed it. She does hang around with humans who do. She's the first swine to join airport's team of therapy animals and is believed to be the only airport porker in the country. You know, if you're an airport porker, does that make you a member of the Mile Low Club? Good night, everybody. This has been Greg Proops. I'm sorry to announce my retirement this suddenly. Right after a Who's Line announcement, I won't be on season five. Instead, George, my cousin, will be there. 
Uh, he's the straight square one who doesn't smoke pot and has a plan about his life. Okay. Uh, she's in the airport's wag brigade, which includes 300 cats, dogs, and rabbits. That's an awful lot of animals. You know, I fly through SFO many times a year. I don't usually fly up uh, when I gig, but I fly through, you know. And not only does SFO have cowgirl creamery cheese and uh, artisanal sourdough bread and artisanal coffee, perfect wine. It's a beautiful. If I have to go to an airport and kill a few hours. I'll go to SFO because they have funny machines that you can turn cranks and they go up and down and whatnot just to amuse you mindlessly for hours. Plugs everywhere because it's a modern airport. It wasn't built in 1968. Never fucking redone like LAX, you know. LAX is like going to a Soviet Union airport except the eggs are just cold when you get them, not uncooked. That would be the difference. I remember a story. Never mind. Anyway, so... uh, uh, I've been there a million times and I haven't seen any... uh, Therapy pigs. And I don't require a therapy pig. Usually I'm good. Xanax. Uh, the other kids in the, uh, not to kiss and tell, but the other kids in the improv group will have a drink. Um, I'm, I'm a, in the daytime, I'm not so drinky. Although Aretha Franklin did say day drinking and I'm thinking of you. I enjoy day drinking. It's just that on a travel day, um, there's really nothing more spectacularly fun than being wildly drunk on a plane and then landing. <laughs> Now you're really drunk and you feel really, really great because you just got off a plane. Uh, Lilu, a Juliana braid pig, 300 of them. Wow. Uh, cats, dogs, and rabbits. I've not seen them, but when I go to San Francisco next time, I'm, I'm looking for them. Um, Lilu, it's on. It's on like Great Poupon. Uh, the brigade was formed in December uh, 2013, and all of the animals are trained by the uh, San Francisco SPCA and certified to be animal-assisted therapy animals. The pets are carefully selected for their temperament and airport suitability, and they wear vests that read, pet me, to encourage interaction with airport guests. You know, when I go to the airport, the one thing I consider myself more than anything else is a guest. I expect a teapot to start dancing and Angela Lansbury to be there. The whole thing. Be our guest, be our guest. Really? I'm usually going somewhere. I, I, I mean, about 100% of the time. I don't really like go and hang that much. Although I remember being at San Diego airport years ago. Uh, and this is the 80s. And I was at the bar at San Diego Airport in a tiny little wing in the southwest wing. We were going to Vegas or something for somebody's thing. And everybody's smoking and drinking in the daytime. And the bartender who worked there had a mustache. And I want to say his name was Dag or something like that. But he went, you know, I like it here so much. I come back and drink here on my days off. And I was like, wow, dude. <laughs> I saw your El Camino outside. You got to get that front light fixed, man. Wow. He went back to the airport and drank. I love it. And then, of course, on those days, you didn't have to go through security. This is the 80s. So you just you bring whatever you like on the plane with you. It was great. Uh, let's see here. Since its launch, uh, the SFO Wag Brigade has become a favorite amenity among travelers. Christopher Birch, the director of guest experience, I love corporations, ha- said in a news release announcing Lilo's admission, with the addition of Lilo, we can look forward to more moments of surprise and delight for guests at our airport. Well, if there's two things I want to feel when I'm in an airport, it's utter surprise and complete delight. Oh, my God. What's that? I've never. Oh, OK. It's all right. It's just a bunny. I thought I was hallucinating. It's a Juliana pig coming at you. Hey, guess who's flying the plane today? Just like in the commercial. Uh, I want to be delighted at airports, too. 
I guess that massage thing is out of the question. Good night, everybody. That's why it's only 10 minutes. <laughs> what do you do with the other nine? This show really needs to be canceled. If I could cancel it, I would. Lilu was chosen for her winning personality and her overall cuteness. And uh, this is a, a value judgment here. I don't know. This is, I believe Julianne wrote this line because it, there's no quotes around it. No quotations. Lilu was chosen for her winning personality and her overall cuteness, which is off the charts. I have never measured pig's cuteness using a chart. I usually just go with how I feel. You know, I let my, I let my heart open up a little bit. I let the pig in. And if the pig consumes every inch inside me, then I let it come out through my eyeball like Rocco watching the movie. Which, by the way, at the end of the movie, they were in a waiting pool to indicate an eyeball. They were swimming through an eyeball like there was a fake eyeball beneath them, but they had clearly built a waiting pool so that when they came out of the eye, there was water gushing out like you were crying or whatever. Even though they were microscopic, so you couldn't see them. And then in order to see them at the end of Fantastic Voyage, they didn't use a microscope, even though they'd said a million times they were microscopic. They used like a magnifying glass, the kind you see at Walgreens that you use to, to buy the eyeglasses with, you know, the one that's kind of up over the thing with the reading chart. They had one of those and they're like, oh, there's Raquel Welch. <laughs> She's in a pool. Uh, um, thank God, there's no time left. Uh, the cuteness is off the charts. Uh, she'll be going gre greeting travelers in a series of costumes with perfectly manicured nails. Yes, they paint her hooves uh, different colors, which is really cute. Officials say Lilu loves performing tricks for audiences, and when not on airport duty, she visits several other facilities in San Francisco, including senior centers and hospitals. That's so cute. Uh, we needed that story. Uh, and now for the real news. This is from The New Current. Uh, the New Current is um, a topical magazine out of England. Uh, they follow me and I follow them. Uh, they're very salient and uh, uh, cogent in their views. Uh, they tend to run a little, I would say, left of center. I don't know that uh, they're a little, they're critical of um, media a bit, uh, which is, I think, one of their things. And in any case, not to overcharacterize The New Current, they sent me this. Goat goes on rampage and attacks pensioner named Billy. <laughs> The manager of a shop in Carrickfergus, Northern Ireland. Is it Carrickfergus? Yeah, I'm pronouncing all the letters like an American. It's spelled Carrickfergus. It's pronounced Carrickfergus. And coincidentally, we've actually been to Carrickfergus and been to the castle. I don't know. Did we have chips there? I remember we went and we ran all over the castle. It was really cute. I don't know if we have pictures of it. That was back before phones had cameras. I think that was a, I was using a, a Kodak Brownie then. I was wearing a, a, a skimmer. And two-tone shoes. And Jennifer had the cutest bathing costume with a parasol. Oh, my God. Those days. Uh, she was but a child, of course. Uh, a manager of a shop in Carrickfergus, Northern Ireland, is forced to shelter customers as the animal jumps at windows and cars. And then there's a photo of it, and it's pretty evocative. The goat jumps on the car of a customer at the Eurospar. Eurospar is... <laughs> yeah. There it is. There's the picture of it jumping on the... Take a feast your eyes at that, Ryan. See if you'll sleep tonight. When the first the pigs fly and then the goats jump, Betty. A pensioner had to be dragged to safety inside a shop. Let's well, let's read it BBC style, shall we? Since it was iron. Oh, well, iron. Let's read it like we're on the RTL or whatever. Or wait a minute, did I get the entire station wrong? Is RTL the German one? It is. No, is RTL, isn't RTL the guy? Good evening, and this is the news. A pensioner had to be dragged to safety inside a shop after an angry goat went on a rampage down a main street of a quiet town. The manager of the Eurospar... Actually, I'm going to do it. 
who's the Irish actor who narrates the story of film documentary? There's a 10-part, 12-part story of film. It's beautiful. The footage is amazing. It has experimental films. The first chapter on silent films is really comprehensive. And I don't know what his name is. And he reads everything that John Wooden flexion like this. There's not one line in the documentary that doesn't go like that. Every single line starts there and then goes down like that. Every single line in the documentary that you listen to for 10 hours. RTE. I said RTL. RTL's German. I don't want anyone in Ireland writing me and accusing me of making you into a German TV station. Uh, Mr. Smith explained how the drama began in the early morning when the goat was denied entry into the storm. I thought... It was the bread man, but when I turned around, I just saw this massive goat standing on its two hind legs. It seemed like it wanted to come into the shop and was looking straight at me. It was running around the place chasing customers and jumping up on cars. It also butted one of our regular customers, Billy. Okay, Alanis Morissette, stop with the fucking irony here. When a goat barges into a store... And the only customer it butts is named Billy. That's ironic. It's not like rain on a wedding day. That's just simple, terrible, hideous, horrible, unfortunate coincidence. Uh, a free ride when you've already paid. That's just stupid. That's just malfeasance on your part. That's ma- no forethought given whatsoever. That's bad planning. Uh, but uh, you got to know that I'm making a peace sign in my pocket while I'm reading this. Uh, uh, being butted by a goat. When it enters the Eurospar. And by the way, the spar is like a convenience store. There's motor oil. There's a newspaper stand. There's crap magazines. Uh, there's usually some hats, windshield wipers, whatnot. And then a kind of a shit coffee section. Maybe uh, smokes behind the counter. Uh, you know, that kind of place with the, the, the paper cups and the things that come out and you have to put the lid on and it's horrible and it always spills. And it's that level of store. So it's, you know, you'd hang. You can hang. Uh, the ones in Sicily, by the way. Uh, I've been to spars in Scotland and Ireland and it's not a place you want to dwell really. Although some of them get a little crazy and have like, you know, commemorative bottles or whatever. That's not a spar, but the one, uh, the one in Wimbledon that we go to has like those weird booze bottles and commemorative things that you wouldn't think a crap little shop would have that sells Cadbury roses in a box and bad postcards. The, 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 the roadside services in Sicily had the most scintillating sandwiches and coffee. Like you'd stop and it, and it would be like a, a filling station. You would fill up a car with gas. Sing, what is it? Sin gazole, whatever, you know, no lead. And I don't know how to speak Italian. And clearly, Greg, you've proved that. Then you go inside and you're like, um, oh my God, look at the sandwiches. Mozzarella with tomato, prosciutto. Like on beautiful rolls. Not like that have been sitting there all day, but like, yeah. And then, well, what's up? And the Jennifer, well, do a cappuccino, per favore, right? Like all of a sudden you're getting cappuccinos. Now you're hanging out with everybody. Everybody's smoking and standing around, fucking eating sound, all the truck drivers. And you're like, well, yeah, this is, why can't 7-Elevens? No. I mean, we all draw the line at, I think, what, Starbucks is as low as we'll go to like sit for a while in a place and like, okay, I'm going to look at my phone or, you know, whatever. But no one goes to a 7-Eleven and goes like, let's cool it here for a minute. But I'm telling you, the ones in Sicily were worth hanging. A filling station. And the filling stations in Spain sell that fudge. Uh, what's it called? Tironi. The f- Tyrone. That's uh, uh, it's fantastic. You'll gain so much weight just driving up and down the motorway in Spain. And when you stop there at the service station, Iberico ham. 
Manchego cheese, all Marcona almonds, like just for snacks. And you're like, what happened to America? Why did people become fat and eat fucking crappy white bread on shit all the time? What is it? Marcona olives? I mixed two things, but you get the picture. Mix those things. Mix olives with almonds and make them one strain for me, won't you? And then bring my flying pig around. I wish to pet it. Get this goat off my dick. Can a man come into this spar unmolested? I'm about to speak with the magistrate. It also butted one of our regular customers, Billy. I only have one Irish accent you may have noticed. The shit one of the actor. And then the other one is Pat O'Brien in Boys Town. Who was the one that Mark brought up to us? The, uh, Barry Sullivan. Barry Sullivan. Uh, we had to quickly open the jars and drag Billy inside. Thankfully, the only damage was to the plants, which we keep outside. It ate, all, it ate them all, but I thought, I'm not going out there to tell it off. <laughs> Jesus, Mary Joseph, and all the fucking saints. And then image caption. The goat stops customers from leaving at the door of the shop. This is when the goat's patrolling at this point. Not only did it jump up on the car, of which there is an evocative photo. You can see this on any website. Well, not any website. I wouldn't go to InfoWars and look for this. I wouldn't go to InfoWars at all if I were you. Unless you want to see what uh, white, toxic, male, insane privilege looks like and given full-blown glory uh, 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 and toxicity. Then I would go on it. Um, there's not much we could do to stop it. The goat just kept running up to the window and buttoning it. The rampage at the Victoria Road shop began about 6.30 a.m. on Saturday morning. That's awfully early for a goat, wouldn't you say? I thought they hung out until noon. It was eventually stopped when... I always forget animals get up early, right? Because they go to bed early. I mean, if you're an animal, like it gets dark and you're like with your herd or your flock. Or, do goats flock or do they herd? They herd. I mean, I don't think technically they care. I think they just group as they will. But humans, of course. A murder of crows. A, a, what is it? A, a, an abnegation of lawyers. A, 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 a fuck bag of Trumps. Whatever. The, I don't know what the collective is. Trumpies. Uh, when goats herd, uh, the sun goes down and they're like, you know, well, what, do you, what do you got? And the other goat's like, well, I don't know. I thought I'd shit for a while and then like go over here and lay down on the straw. And, and then the other go, I thought, hey, there's water. Let's go drink that. You know, and, and then uh, we, could, we could jump and gamble. Uh, and we've been gambling all goddamn day, every fucking day, the same. And then they, all right, fuck, let's, you know, get, let's hit it. And they just go to sleep. I guess. I mean, I don't know what animals. Uh, and you know what? It's good. If I actually knew what animals did after dark, you really wouldn't be listening to the show that long. You'd be like, okay, that's all right. Thank you for that info. Uh, it was eventually stopped when a member of the public believed, believed to be the animal's owner, grabbed it by the horns and took it away. That's all it took. And there's no more to the story, by the way. The story ends there. Two pictures of it. One patrolling outside the store, keeping customers from coming out or in, one presumes. And the other one of it hooves up on the window of a car like, Meh! like satining out the car real hard. And then, uh, and now this, now just no, nothing. It's just over. That's so weird to me. Wow. Well, uh, thank you for that story, uh, New Current. Uh, we will, we appreciate uh, uh, your fantastic uh, contribution to the show. And uh, that you are a news service uh, of some repute. Let's see here. I'm looking for something that we've been meaning to play for ages and ages and ages and ages. Um, he's been swirling in the heavens for a while now. Um, and his name is Leon Russell. And he was a great rock star. He was also a producer, an arranger, uh, a piano player, 
a singer um, and something of an evangelist, uh, if you ever get to see him play. Uh, there's many good videos on YouTube. One is an hour-long show shot in L.A. in the 70s that includes a woman cooking a cake during the show. Did we watch this? Did you see any of this? It's so good. She bakes a cake during the show. What's it called? She bakes a pie. She bakes a pie, sorry. Emily. Uh, and Leon Russell sings a bunch of his songs. He brings on uh, Furry Lewis, the blues singer who does a number while smoking and singing. Um, and all, his uh, whole backup band is there, which is like the people who are in Gimme Shelter. So it's really a wild rock and roll show. And if you don't remember who Leon Russell was, he had white hair from an early age. Or by the 70s, he had white hair, even though he was probably only in his 30s, I'm guessing. He was quite young when he started. And I mean... Frankie Lyman Young. Like some people go, they're quite young when they start. I started when I was a teenager. Bill Hicks was 14 when he started. Frankie Lyman was 14. Uh, Brenda Lee was how old when she started? I mean, 12? Like uh, some people start when they're real fucking young. Uh, Stevie Wonder, whatnot. And Leon Russell was 14 when he went on the road and opened for Jerry Lee Lewis. He had white hair and a white beard and a long mustache, and he wore a top hat quite often. And in the one video Jennifer was showing me, it was a concert in Texas, Oklahoma, where he's from, and he walks on stage, and a top hat comes whirring out of the audience, and he catches it and puts it on and walks to the piano, and the hat's slightly too small, and he has to fuck with it the whole time while he's playing. But it's the coolest thing because he's striding across the stage and like, ladies and gentlemen, Leon Russell, and he comes out, and a top hat goes, and he just nip like you do and fucking puts it on. So it always gave him the air of um, a southern magician, kind of this swampy magician. He did an album called Will of the Wisp where he appears as like a glowing bug on the front, and then he married a, a wonderful singer whose last name I'm forgetting, Mary, was it? And um, she, uh, uh, they made an album called The Wedding Album, and um, uh, he's with his wife on the cover of that album. Uh, in any case, he made thousands of records. He was on the road when he was a, a kid with Jerry Lee Lewis. And uh, let's see here. This is what he says. When I had a chance to go on the road with Jerry Lee Lewis, I just spent three days, 12 hours a day, taking entrance exams to Tulsa University. And I thought, well, it's a waste of time because I have to study so many things I'm not interested in. Uh, the ROTC had to take, and right away I knew I didn't want to do that. And I figured this is my chance to eat in a lot of restaurants and travel around, play some rock and roll music, which I decided was easier and better. So he went on the road with Jerry Lee. And uh, a story is told of Jerry Lee. Uh, he opened for him for a, you come, a good while. Uh, he's a teenager. He was getting loaded every night uh, and being driven to the gigs because he couldn't drive. And was it in Tulsa? Or, no, it was in Mont Cheyenne, Wyoming. Cheyenne, Wyoming. Uh, the, a riot uh, started breaking out when Jerry came on. And Jerry Lee Lewis, who's still alive and his nickname is The Killer, pulled out his gun and waved it at the crowd and shouted them down. So, as Jennifer said to me the other day, I guess going to L.A. and becoming a studio musician after that seems pretty old hat. Nothing, no attitude that anyone brings into the studio is really going to flap you after a white riot is quelled <laughs> by Jerry Lee Lewis standing on the piano waving his fucking automatic at the crowd. So, uh, uh, at 17, he moved from Tulsa to L.A., and he uh, got out of the nightclubs early and he joined um, the Wrecking Crew, uh, which was a famous group of backing musicians uh, uh, organized by Hal Blaine, the producer. And they played I'm Telling You on every goddamn record ever. There's a documentary about them called The Wrecking, I think it's called The Wrecking Crew. They had a woman bass player. 
uh, Herb Albert, the birds, Phil Spector. Um, he's on um, Be My Baby. He's on River Deep Mountain High, um, which maybe we should spend that one. That's one I should find here. Although this thing is working so bloody poorly. Here, let's play this one. Um, this is a, he, he wrote many songs uh, as well as producing and arranging a thousand albums for every star in the world. Um, his influence and his effect is felt everywhere because he has a jaunty, bouncy, rock and roll, bluesy piano style. And he says that he played by copying other people and that someone like, uh, 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 who was the cat that, not Art Blakey, uh, yeah, it wasn't Mose Allison, it was the piano player. He, some people were beyond him, he said, like in his, um, let's see if I can find it. Bill Evans. Uh, Bill Evans, right. Bill Evans, the jazz player, was, uh, he goes, I, I couldn't get my mind around it because I couldn't play like him. But everyone else, he could copy immediately. And he had quite a lot of talent on his own. But he wrote a lot of, uh, the people uh, who worked with him called him the Master Space and Time. He wrote a beautiful song called Masquerade uh, that had many different versions. But this one I really love. And you might still hear it on like smooth jazz channels. And I, I can't get it out of my head. And since uh, Leon joined everyone in the heavens and with the Rolling Stones um, uh, crew, he, uh, when he's on uh, Sticky Fingers too, isn't he, Leon Russell? Sweet Virginia or something? I don't know. All right, I'm talking out of school, but it sounds like he is. Um, in any case, uh, I remember hearing this song a million times, and it's George Benson. I'm just going to play a little bit over here. This is what we would have called in the 70s jazz rock or adult-oriented rock. How many songs start with scatting now? Oh yeah, you can fall in love with it. You might, you might get lucky to this record. It's it's an amazing reworking of the song because his version doesn't sound at anything at all like that. He also had a giant hit, and I've sworn to Jennifer because I want her to stay married to me that I wouldn't play it. He wrote a song called Superstar, and uh, the Carpenters had a giant hit with it. And um, that one went on and on in the 70s, uh, and an unstoppable force. Uh, and the chorus awesomely goes, Don't you remember you told me you love me, baby? You said you'd be coming back this way again, maybe. Baby, 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 baby. Oh, baby, I love you. Uh, that's a good song, too. Uh, he wrote the first solo album in 1970, A Song for You. Andy Williams, Donny Hathaway, The Carpenters, The Temptations, Willie Nelson, and Ray Charles covered the track. Ray Charles won a Grammy for Best Male R&B Performance for doing this song for you. Um, also, Herbie Hancock and Christina Aguilera got a Grammy nomination. He, uh, uh, in the early 70s, this article says, Russell receded into his influential role out of the spotlight between the Asylum Choir and his early solo albums. He served as songwriter, performer, and co-producer on Joe Cocker's 1969 LP, Joe Cocker, and he did the Mad Dogs and Englishman tour, which was a legendary drug-and-drink-soaked affair uh, that had Delaney and Bonnie and Joe Cocker and Leon Russell and this all-star band, and they all got up every night and threw down, and that's the uh, 
It's that one. Uh, and that was Leon Russell's idea. He thought it up because of the rock and roll shows that he had been in as a teenager and had seen uh, in the 50s. And he thought it was really groovy to have a rock and roll show like a Alan Freed rock and roll show. Um, I think, what was it, Little Richard? Was he got the idea watching a Little Richard show? Uh, to have a rock and roll show like that with, oh, here's Joe Cocker, and now here's Delaney and Bonnie, and now I come out and sing a song, but we're all in this big band together and we get drunk a lot. Uh, and it's really good. He also produced Bob Dylan's Watching the River Flow and When I Paint My Masterpiece and worked with Frank Sinatra, The Stones, George Harrison, Ringo, The Beach Boys, Sam Cooke, The Gap Band. Yeah, you heard me. My band. And Willie Nelson, who became a close friend of Leon Russell's. Um, there's a documentary about Leon Russell. What's it called? Oh, golly, a poem is a naked person. It's hard going. Uh, he didn't make the documentary. Les Blank made the documentary. But there's footage of Willie Nelson, and it's from the late 60s, early 70s. And he doesn't have a beard or any facial hair. And Jennifer goes, oh, my God, he looks like Eddie Vedder. <laughs> He's wearing a plaid shirt. He's got a guitar. Willie Nelson needs that facial hair so badly. He really, really does. Wonderful singer-songwriter. No question. I'm not, nothing bad on Willie. He wrote Superstar, popularized by the Carpenters, and Tightrope, and George Benson uh, won a Grammy. And it was Record of the Year, the one I just played you, in 1977. By the way, 77 was the year of punk. Um, I, if I'm not wrong, also uh, Debbie Boone, disco, there was so much going on in 77. Funk, uh, uh, you know, the 70s are full of Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney and Elton John and uh, Diana Ross and whatnot. That record was unstoppable. And I think that's why I couldn't quit singing it. From the moment he passed, I just I'd walk, I'd, everywhere I walked by myself, went through an airport hallway, I'd be like, Misunderstanding from the start. We tried to talk it over, but the words got in the way. I don't, it's the catchiest goddamn song. Lost in a mask. And then, because you're George Benson. Masquerade. Um, I didn't do that song any justice. Uh, I would cancel the show. Uh, 2009, Elton John sought Russell for a collaborative LP that became the following year's The Union, which got a five-star review, da-da-da. That's when we saw his poster. We were in Australia like five years ago, and uh, he was touring everywhere. So there was a giant posters of Leon Russell everywhere you went in Melbourne, every, everywhere we went in Australia, we went all over Australia. We never saw him, but we missed him in 10 towns. And it was him with white hair and a white suit and a white top hat and a white beard. So he was like Colonel Sanders, the swampy rock star at this point. It was really good. Uh, here it is. Uh, Little Richard as part of the Alan Freed show. Uh, Alan Freed used to bring out a rock and roll show and everyone would come out and do like two or three numbers, right? It would be Buddy Holly and then Little Richard and then um, uh, 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 Chuck Berry, uh, Bill Haley and the Comets. Uh, uh, who, I can't remember the name of that group. Mr. Lee, Mr. Lee. Oh, Mr. Lee, Mr. And um, like that. And uh, uh, Alan Freed brought them out one after the next, you see. And you see it in uh, the pictures. Uh, uh, there's a movie called uh, Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll where they, it's a movie about Alan Freed. They kind of depicted that. The Buddy Holly story, I think, has a version of it. Um, we know uh, Tony Visconti, the producer, and he told us about going to see a Little Richard concert and uh, that Little Richard was in the car park after the show in a lavender custom-made Cadillac with electric windows and a stereo in it. And Little Richard was wearing matching lavender boots and lavender trousers and a lavender coat and entertained the teenagers in the car park for an hour after the show, taking questions and letting people play with the aerial and shit. <laughs> he sat in the parking lot after the gig and he goes, we were like 14, 15 and we just hung out like we loved little Richard and he had the hairdo. And the, but what I love was the car matched his clothes. 
And he had had it custom made. That, by the way, is rock and roll. And it's every, it's, you're never going to be that cool. I just want you to know that. I'm not either, but you're not either. Unless, no, you're not, because you're not. Uh, let's see here. Uh, uh, part of a lineup that included Chuck Berry, Fats Domino, Jerry Lee Lewis, and a huge horn band called the Lloyd Price Show. Lloyd Price did, because uh, she's got mm, personality, walk, personality, style, pers- over and over, over, just because you left and said goodbye. Uh, kind of a le- early 60s, late 50s. Show of Stars Orchestra. Well, this is where I got the idea for Mad Dogs and Englishmen. He takes the basic inspiration and finds new gear for it. Uh, and then he wrote a lot of great songs. Uh, Roller Derby. Uh, I'm going to play a couple here. Uh, this is a beautiful song he wrote that everybody's covered. And it's called A Song For You. And you'll get a chance to hear his very interesting voice. write songs uh what a beautiful uh, bridge right the chorus there is just unstoppable uh leon russell does uh, swirling in the heavens uh, he was on the road uh forever and ever and ever and that's what we love about rock and roll uh let's see here getting to the heart of the matter uh it's time for us to uh, take up arms uh, once again against a sea of troubles and therefore vanquish them uh i'm reminded of uh shakespeare uh, the other day when I was uh, unable to sleep and woke up raging, um, the line that Hamlet says about not being able to kill his, uh, his uh, father, uh, his stepfather, who's uh, killed his dad and taken his dad's place on the throne of Denmark. And uh, this is the one that starts with, uh, oh, what a rogue and peasant slave am I. But the line that I woke up thinking about our president-elect was... Uh, but am I, I am pigeon-livered and lack gall to make oppression bitter, or ere this I should have fatted all the region's kites. That means you would have been eaten by birds. With this slave's awful, bloody body villain, remorseless, treacherous, lecherous, kindless villain. Oh, vengeance. So, uh, with that thought in mind, and with hope in our hearts and love in our minds, uh, we move into this part of the show. Um, I, I'm not a big person for vengeance, and I don't think revenge is a very fruitful occupation, and I certainly never advocate violence or destruction of any kind. However, I've had enough people to call me a, a, a liberal libtard this week, and um, had people uh, post memes of them 
surfing and kayaking in liberals' tears and that I'm a crybaby and a snowflake and all these different things because I can't get over it and admit the fact that a coup happened in this country and that a woman has an almost three million point lead, a uh, three million vote lead uh, over a man and we still didn't allow her to be president because the intelligence forces in this country and the Russians didn't want that to happen. If that makes me a crybaby, hooray, hurrah, then let's all be crybabies. And what we're going to do uh, is each week organize uh, more and more more. Uh, and uh, we're, by the end of this, uh, we're going to have everybody uh, down because um, you, he, there are still laws uh, at the current juncture and uh, all these things uh, are self-evident that things do change if you protest and people do hear you. For instance, the light from Standing Rock, beautiful struggle shows the power of protest. This is from Rebecca Solnit, who we are a fan of uh, in The Guardian. And I'm just going to read you a couple of lines from it. You may have heard what happened at Standing Rock. Um, the government was using every kind of force to keep people who um, originally lived in this country from having their own land not uh, destroyed uh, by a giant pipeline. No one saw it coming, but on a Sunday word came the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers was withdrawing permission to build the Dakota Access Pipeline under the Missouri River, just above the Standing Rock Sioux uh, Reservation. What do you do with the victory? Many on social media cautioned this was not the Santa Israel, everything's okay, for, forever victory, and we should not celebrate. If we waited for that kind of victory, we'd never celebrate. But the people most involved seem to realize that it's not necessarily the end of the road, but a really great milestone. It is not a final victory. Uh, and if pipeline investor Donald Trump's inaugurated, according to plan, he'll surely do his best to make sure this and every other pipeline's built. But it might be a really big victory. And mid-January might be too late to salvage some of what the friendly pipeline builders were hoping as they raced toward their deadlines. Um, consequences are often direct. The movement at Standing Rock may yet stop a pipeline. Whether it does or not, it has brought together perhaps the greatest single gathering of North Americans from Canada as well as the United States ever. And that has been a profound and moving watershed for the affirmation of cultural identities and political rights. It's demonstrated yet again the environmental movement and human rights campaigns are often inseparable, reminding us that worldwide indigenous people are the forefront of the climate change movement, of the climate movement. Many things we cannot foresee may come of this gathering and its vision, tactics, and power. In this moment of right-wing and white supremacist triumphalism, we're hearing a lot about hate crimes, beating insults, schwatstikas, threats, and the rest. But also rising into view is another America. The people who stand up for racial justice, for the vulnerable, for women, and for LGBT people, for science, for nature, and for democracy, Standing Rock prefigured and modeled those possibilities and was radiant with this beauty. Standing Rock reminds us that we are very powerful when we come together to defend our ideals, sometimes only in indirect ways, modeling the possibilities, providing hope and moral reinforcement for what comes later or elsewhere. That's what change is all about. Your GD right, uh, the government heard. Um, when the, uh, uh, the white supremacists who wanted to go to the bird uh, sanctuary in Oregon were never messed with by the federal government the way the poor protesters and indigenous people got messed with dogs, hoses in the freezing rain, horses, uh, and every manner of martial bullshit against them. Uh, and it's a scandal. And thank goodness it came to an end. But because it was a scandal and because people made something out of it and because um, – the mainstream media really, really sat on the story forever and didn't want to deal with it. Enough influential people went there. What you can do 
if you have any privilege at all, is help spread the word about things like this. You don't have to go there and pretend it's Burning Man and insert yourself into the situation, but you can certainly help by letting other people know because that's why um, this went down. Um, of course, they didn't want to close the pipeline. It's a giant deal. They do, and by the way, they'll do a million giant deals here and there and everywhere. But as Rebecca Solnit said, at the same time that... Um, some of the less attractive people amongst us are running around with t-shirts and waving Confederate flags and whatnot. And that horrible behavior that they're displaying and the pounding of the chest and being a sore winner and, and, and really pouring it on uh, in only the way that someone who's unsure of their victory can. Um, rem remember that the rest of us are gathering together uh, to stop all this jazz here. Excuse me. I'm all choked up. Uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center, of course, chronicles a lot of hate crimes and goes through a lot of great stuff and takes on many legal issues. Uh, when you dial 202-224-3121, you're directed to an operator at the Capitol switchboard. Why do you bring it up? Because that's what I wanted to talk about today. Um, Pizzagate happened this week where, as you've heard, the I want to get the name right of the pizza parlor. Uh, Comet Ping Pong. Yeah, in D.C. Um, a fake news site, uh, the kind of which... Um, is run by Alex Jones and that lot um, really uh, put out a terrible story that Hillary Clinton was uh, killing children and whatnot. It was completely fake. Um, a, a deluded individual um, who's not that attractive showed up with a gun and uh, created a real situation. They've, of course, been receiving death threats and things like this. This is what happened when lies are spread. And this is how um, fascism gets started because it's the spreading of dirty lies like that against perfectly innocent places where eventually someone will get hurt and that's not a good thing. Um, so you might call about hate crimes. You might also call about um, uh, up restarting the recount in Michigan where it's been uh, struck down by the Attorney General who gleefully noted uh, the Michigan um, uh, Republican Party that the recount was stopped and wasn't that such a great thing. And my question is, not being a Republican, but wondering... Uh, do you really want to tweet that you're glad a legal recount was stopped and that that's some great uh, win for democracy? I don't think it is. Let's just, you know, not split hairs here. Not counting the votes sounds super banana republic uh, communist party 1955 uh, to me. When you dial 202-224-3121, 202-224-3121, you're directed to an operator at the Capitol switchboard. You can go. Uh, I, I got this off of the... Um, civilrights.org um, leadership conference website. The switchboard can direct you to both senators as well as representatives. So you can say to them, um, I want to talk to my congressperson. I'm in this district and like that. Uh, or I want to talk to my senator. I'm from fill in the state. I'm from Kentucky. I would like to talk to my senator's office. When you get on the phone with them, be extraordinarily polite, have something planned out and be brief and succinct. Thank you for listening to me today. I want to talk to the senator about this issue, um, hate crimes. I wish him to pursue or her to pursue uh, a line against hate crimes. I want the recount to continue. I want um, the Russian hacking of the election to be investigated more thoroughly. Or I want uh, women's rights to be at the forefront of today's discussion. I want to talk to him about abortion changes. For instance, if you're calling Ohio, you can call uh, the governor's office. Will you? Maybe we can dig that up before this is over. Uh, in any case, uh, I wanted to give you that number because it's important to call all the time and write them. Here is a, um, another website that you'll like, Senate.gov. And Senate.gov will lead you to every single senator. I'm looking at the page now <clears throat> with all of their addresses and phone numbers. 
and their emails. Yes, you can write them. Uh, writing is good. Also, uh, phoning is good because they have to answer mail. They have to open the mail and they have to answer the phone. Um, if you email them, they respond to you, but it's not as good. Clerk.house.gov has all of the members of uh, 114th Congress House of Representatives and listed alphabetically all of their phone numbers. Clerk.house.gov is everyone in Congress. Senate.gov uh, slash general, and then it goes contact information, is all the senators. And if you just want the Capitol switchboard, it's 202-224-3121. Believe me, they notice. Because they know... And this divided electorate, as the mainstream media loves to call it, um, there's an election in two years. And thank you very much for that. The um, Democrats can take over the House with 18 seats and every single House is up. So remember that. That's in two years time. There's plenty of time to get organized, change voting laws, change uh, the cross-check system. Get on to your legislators about eradicating crappy voting laws and eradicating um uh, 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 voter suppression. You would even rather uh, on those issues go to the state level and that's when you contact governors and state representatives and state congress people and state senators because they have a lot of sway and governor's offices. Um, you've heard about the restrictive law that the Ohio House passed of men who are not that attractive who wish to exert their will over women's reproductive organs. Uh, it's called a heartbeat law. That's to fake you out to believe that uh, a fetus is a person. Um, people who fetishize fetuses give me the biggest Biggest, biggest load in my trunk. Uh, John, Governor John Kasich, or if you wish to be dyslexic as I am, Governor Gone Kasich, because uh, he's gone, daddy gone, love is gone. He was the most coherent of the Republican candidates and also a pretty much a straight up fascist as far as I could see. Um, he was diminishing of women, although he did include his daughter, I remember in the discussion. But I believe it was one of those women shouldn't drink if they go to parties kind of comments that he made during the election. And as you know, women shouldn't do anything that tempts men sexually. Uh, because then it's their fault no matter what happens. Well, I'm sorry, I just dipped into the playbook. Uh, Governor John Kasich is his name. Uh, Riffs, R-I-F-F-E Center, 30th floor, 77th South High Street, Columbus, Ohio, 43215-6117. Riff Center, R-I-F-F-E Center, 30th floor, 77 South High Street, Columbus, Ohio, 43215-6117. His phone is 614-466-3555, 614 4663556143555 if you call her at his office you can say that you disapprove of the bill uh, the abortion bill and you wish that when it crosses his desk he has three courses of action they are he vetoes it he doesn't sign it in which case it goes into law uh, or uh, makes a big show out of doing one or the other which will be he wants to be seen as a staunch ally of the uh, anti-choice anti-women movement but one wonders for his own p political future and knowing as we have in this deeply divided electric device uh, that we're going to have to draw the line state by state, case by case, district by district on every issue involving women's rights, uh, trans rights and uh, gay rights, which are and immigrants rights and people of color's rights, which are going to come first. Those that's the front line. Uh, and that's where we start with all of this. Pizzagate, of course, being a good example of a hate crime being committed and fomented and um, encouraged by um, lies and propaganda on that side. Are you going to be funny again? Maybe not for a minute. 
because we've got a lot to bloody talk about. Uh, Hillary Clinton's message to girls is the most retweeted political tweet of the year. This is from Cher Blue. Of course it is. And this is what she said to all the little girls watching. And this is when she spoke after not winning. Never doubt that you are valuable and powerful and deserving of every chance and opportunity in the world. Um, I want everyone to remember that. Uh, If Hillary Clinton can be that strong and say it, know that it's true. Um, Like any precedent uh, that happens, uh, a woman running for president and being denied it through all of the weird chicanery and nonsense that happened um, has a golden light at the end of the tunnel. It just means that it can happen and there will be one. Um, by that, I mean a woman president. Let's take a break for poetry. Uh, Ocean Vong is this week's poet. As you know, uh, the, we're very proud that the Poetry Foundation uh, is a proud sponsor of the show. Support for the Smartest Man in the World podcast comes from the Poetry Foundation and Poetry Magazine. Poetry Magazine publishes new work from the best contemporary poets. As I've said, it's uh, not uh, focused on old-time poets. It's focused on very new poets. A year's subscription to Poetry Magazine brings you 11 books of the smartest essays, poetry, art, and cultural criticism. Get poetry. A special a subscription offer to Poetry Magazine for listeners of the smartest man in the world is at poetrymagazine.org slash smartest man. Poetrymagazine.org slash smartest man. For 20 clams, uh, you get 11 books and they're beautiful. We have them. About Ocean Vong. Born in Saigon, poet and editor Ocean Vong was raised in Hartford, Connecticut and earned a BFA at Brooklyn College. In his poems, he often explores transformations, desire, and violent loss. In a 2013 interview with Edward J. Rafke, Vong discussed the relationship between form and content in his work, noting besides being a vehicle for the poem's movement, I see form as an extension of the poem's content, a space where tensions can be investigated even further. The way the poem moves through space, its enjambment or end-stop line breaks, its utterances and stutters, all work in tangent with the poem's conceit. That's a beautiful way of describing the process. The poem is called Toy Boat. Uh, by the awesome Ocean Vong. And this is how it goes. A little something like this. We read it this week because one, Ocean is uh, a, a wonderful poet. But secondly, it's dedicated to Tamir Rice. Tamir Rice was the young boy in Ohio who was shot down for having a toy gun by the police. For Tamir Rice, yellow plastic, black sea, eye-shaped shard on a darkened map. No shores now to arrive or depart, no wind. But this waiting which moves you, as if the seconds could be entered and never left. Toy boat, oarless, each wave a green lamp, outlasted. Toy boat, toy leaf dropped from a toy tree, waiting. Waiting as if the spare rose, thinning above you, are not already pierced by their own names. Uh, I read it that way because the line goes, waiting as if the SP dash arrows thinning above you are not already pierced by their own names. Poetryfoundation.org slash smartest man is how you get in touch with all that music. It's really, really, really worth it um, because... Poetry alleviates a lot of the horror of what's been going on. You haven't talked about the the crimes of Crump at all. We see the gathering uh, gloom of the cabinet. Um, We see the uh, pointed, pointed insults uh, that are each uh, cabinet official. A general um, who believes in torture, um, uh, uh, housing and urban development, 
cabinet, ben, Dr. Ben Carson, who believes that the pyramids were used to store grain, and he's a doctor, he knows nothing of house and urban development. Um, the woman who runs the WWE Wrestling Foundation as head of the Small Business Administration, because she has the same, her business has the same class, glamour, and truth that uh, the Crump strives for. Uh, uh, the uh, head of the EPA is uh, works was the Attorney General of Oklahoma and an avowed uh, climate change denier. Um, the Weather Channel this week, ladies and gentlemen, the Weather Channel, like Teen Vogue, having to stand tall in a sea of compliance stenographers working for the mainstream media. Teen Vogue uh, covers uh, politics better than almost any uh, grown-up magazine, and uh, the Weather Channel this week actually stated outright: um, climate change isn't a theory. It's, it's science, and you really can't go back on that. That was the Weather Channel. I think they get tired of hearing the president-elect and his cabinet and the government go, yeah, you know, the jury's out on this. No, no, crime, to have a, no crime to have your own opinion. Um, it kind of is, because there's um, no Northwest Passage, and, you know, as we speak, there's an otter gasping for breath somewhere. That's all I want to say. The pointed uh, hatred and contempt uh, that he's showing for the public that elected him, his Trumpies, uh, the ones who run around with the T-shirts and still chant locker up at this weird Nuremberg victory tour that he's doing. No president in my lifetime has ever done a victory tour um, to obfuscate and distract from the matters at hand. Who celebrates themselves home after winning? To me, it smacks of... Uh, insecurity and um, uh, wanting to reaffirm his own masculinity um, and validation, which he sorely lacks. Having lost by almost three million votes and the jiggery pokery in all these states and having to have attorney friendly, pliant attorney generals like in the year 2000 when it was Kathleen Harris in uh, Florida uh, uh, stop the recount process. Uh, doing a, a tour of only places where you're popular off the back of that smacks to me of the Nazi playbook because. Uh, one of the main uh, ideas Goebbels had, aside from the weekly radio address, because Hitler was the first great conqueror of mass media. In the 30s, it wasn't uh, the social media. It was the radio. All of a sudden, everybody had a radio in their house, and they would gather around the radio every night. They would be on all the time, just kind of in the background. And then at night, you sat down for entertainment because there would be big bands or, or plays or, or any kind of old-time radio entertainment, you know, comedy shows, talk shows, quiz shows. The soap operas, this and that. And Hitler would come on. Uh, uh, FDR borrowed the format and started the fireside chats every week where he would sit with his dog, Fala. I almost said Asta, but Asta's the thin man's dog. And speaking of Asta, uh, the thin man movies, if you're an alcoholic, they're the feel-good movies of the year. Um, there's a scene, and the, they're Nick and Nora Charles, and they're this sort of gay detective. I don't mean homosexual detective. They're like gay in the sense of 1930s New York top coats and, and gloves and ermine wraps. And it's Myrna Loy, and she's wicked thin and really classy, and William Powell, and he's sort of, uh, uh, bemused and they have a dog named Asta that's a little what kind of terrier is that Kieran a little Kieran terrier uh, it's the kind a Jack Russell it's the kind von Frazier right it's not a Jack Russell what was it with the kind on Frazier Eddie on Frazier you know a terrier like that anyways they're sophisticated and they drink martinis and uh, William Powell will go like I'll write a martini with three olives like that to that bartender and there's they drink so much um, and they're so sophisticated and witty and sexy an Airedale Terrier. Ooh. Was um, Roosevelt's dog also an Airedale? Was Fala also an Airedale? The whole country knew Fala. Like, the whole country knew Socks or, or who was, what was W's bloody dog? Barney. <laughs> Only Bush would name the dog Barney and not get the irony of calling your dog a Barney when you're a Barney. 
Scotty? Oh, Father was a Scotty. Oh, really? Look how cute Father was. FDR loved that dog. That dog had to put up with secondhand smoke like no dog's ever had to put up with sec. You think your dog's got it bad. And he would go, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here with Father at the White House. And he would, he would tell, well, Jonathan Winters does the greatest Franklin Delano Roosevelt impression of all time. Hello, I'm Franklin Roosevelt. I'm Franklin Delano Roosevelt speaking to you from the dead. Remember what the man said. If you stick it out there, someone will bite it off. Speaking to you from beyond the grave. God, Jonathan Winters was funny. Uh, anyway, he would uh, uh, address the public every week. And that's how Hitler got across. But Goebbels' other gambit was constant rallies where everyone wore the gear and waved the flag and did the chants so that there was always enthusiasm building for the giant lies they were disseminating. What were the giant lies of the Nazis? That... Jews were responsible for all of the misfortune that happened to post-war Germany. That it wasn't, aside from the punitive fines that they had to pay to all the other countries in reparations, uh, and what drove the German economy downward, was blaming international Jewish bankers, and then in general Jews, and then by proxy and by further extrapolation, homosexuals, intellectuals, communists, trade unionists, anyone who wasn't white, Russians and uh, Roma, as we've decided that we're not going to call them gypsies. Also, someone had weighed in on that one, too. Uh, and the Roma and the Jews were their first and giantest victims of all of this. But everyone got in the mix. And you can see it happening now. When they're having a white supremacist rally at Texas A&M, and uh, that man, Mr. Spencer, uh, was also... Uh, uh, spoke there last week uh, without an invitation from the school. Protesters got up. Um, let's see here. Asked during the press conference about feminism, Spencer said, has seduced many women into thinking that men are wrong. I need to be myself. I need to have a career. I need to do this. They wake up. They're 45. They're living with cats and they're extremely unhappy. During his speech, he told the crowd, at the end of the day, America belongs to white men. So I want you to know what's going on out there and what's going on with Mr. Spencer and his white nationalism and his misogyny. Um, don't be distracted by rallies where unattractive people who are uh, unable to control all the elements of their lives go and are still chanting, lock her up. They're on the campaign still. Uh, he's won, you see, but they're still chanting Locker Up. Hillary, as I pointed out many times on the show, hasn't really done anything to merit being locked up. Trump, on the other hand, uh, is facing a dazzling variety of conflict of interest charges. Um, the Deutsche, know this. Today, uh, as we record this on Thursday, the 8th of December, know that uh, Deutsche Bank's uh, stock went up in the United States and around the world uh, by a big jump today because He's in debt to them so hard that he's going to let them slide on a giant fine they have to pay come January. And they're banking on that. So if you don't think it's all inside, it is. What can I do? I told you what you can do. <laughs> call and write and call and write and call and write and call and write and never stop calling and never stop writing. You might, while you're at it, sign every bloody petition you can and join the ACLU and the Southern Poverty Law Center. And uh, uh, I'll post it again uh, on my um, Tumblr page and on the website as well. So... Uh, moving along uh, to the good news, uh, all, all of this has happened this week. We have um, a, a sexy new uh, uh, um, attorney general in California, uh, Kamala Harris, uh, who is both uh, black and Indian, uh, is going to be our first Indian and black senator. We couldn't be happier senator. 
She's taking Barbara Box's seat. Um, she's going to join Dianne Feinstein in the Senate. Now, as you know, we've talked about it on the show before. This is the difference between California and other states. Not that we're so great, but we're so great. Why? We are behind the curve on gay marriage and medical marijuana, but we've caught up. We also have a progressive governor who, even though he's uh, in his late 70s, is highly active. We also managed to swing the House back over in the state of California so that it's wildly blue and we have a supermajority. The House uh, and the Assembly of the State of California declared this week that they're going to defy all Trumpism and all its costs as, as strenuously as they can. In other words, that state's right things that you hear so much about from the, as they call them uh, on the media, the 2A people, the Second Amendment people, who are so bloody involved with making sure that their rights to bear arms are with upheld. The Assembly of California has uh, basically stated there's not going to be any mass deportations if they can bloody help it. And before he becomes president, they're whipping through a bunch of legislation to make sure uh, that things uh, try to stay on the even keel here in the state of California. Further to that, uh, a senator named Xavier Becerra, is that how you say his last name? We saw him speak on TV last night. Xavier Becerra has been a congressman uh, uh, for 14, 15 years, and he's been asked by Governor Brown to replace Kamala Harris. Miss Harris is going uh, to Washington uh, to be in a movie with uh, Jimmy Stewart and, uh, and Diane Feinstein to be the California delegation. As I was saying before, um, it was two Jewish women before in their 70s. Now it's a, a, an Indian-American woman uh, who was Attorney General of California. And you've seen her on TV. And uh, not only is she highly intelligent and um, highly regarded, uh, she is actually gorgeous. There's that. Most politicians look like a, a combination of John Kasich and Ted Cruz. Kind of like, oh, really? I never wouldn't want to touch you. That's why the Obamas were so exciting. It was like having Jackie Kennedy and John, like, finally, we can have dinner and it'll be okay. Uh, in any case, the news of Becerra's nomination... Uh, Jerry Brown nominated uh, Xavier Becerra to, he has to leave his house in the uh, house. He has to leave his seat in the house uh, and become and be attorney general of California. He has vowed to be an activist attorney general. And this is what makes California exciting right now. Move here, please. Texas, you may know, if you watched Rachel Maddow uh, this week, she made a very good point about uh, Texas uh, defied Obama against basically everything he tried to put forward. Uh, Obamacare. Uh, gay laws, anything that affected the state of Texas, uh, the attorney general's office violently defied and took to court. Well, California is going to do the same thing. So if they try to hit us with, um, um, say, for instance, um, a registry for Muslims or uh, uh, mass deportations or camps or lists of enemies, things like that, um, he... Uh, our new attorney general, or soon to be attorney general, Xavier Becerra, has vowed um, to fight this with all of his verve. Let's see here. Often with an authority that's independent from the state's governor and with significant statutory authority, this is from BuzzFeed News, but there you are. Uh, the California, New York, and Texas generals are particularly powerful national policymakers for a handful of reasons. We have large population bases, 38 million people plus in California, sixth biggest economy in the world. Uh, and by the way, our electoral votes... <laughs> uh, Safe liberal cons or conservative constituency and an expectation among those voters they will be active in their jobs. Texas Attorney General Office and the Obama administration has been one of the federal government's prime adversaries. 
uh, is now behind the national injunction against the Obama administration's pro-transgender policy, transgender policies. In September, Texas led a group of states in a lawsuit opposing the Labor Department's new overtime rule. Mind you, this is what they're against. They don't want transgender people to have rights, and they don't want you to get overtime. This is what they're fighting. By the way, they keep saying they're a populist party, and they're a party of the working people, and that we need to listen to white working people more. I think we do need to listen to all working people more. But taking away overtime and uh, trampling transgender rights doesn't really seem like the way to start on that one. Uh, come January, the tables will have turned. Trump has been elected as cabinet picks, blah, blah, blah. Idola. The attorney, attorneys general of California, New York will take the place of Texas. New York attorney general Eric Schneiderman, who took the Trump Foundation's fundraising practice, took on the Trump Foundation's fundraising practice during the campaign is sure to be front and center. As you recall, he paid a $25 million fine the week he was uh, won the so-called election. Uh, in addition to uh, the Texas tactic of challenging federal actions in court, attorneys general have the ability to launch investigations through state consumer protection laws, civil rights laws, and other similar statutes. During the Bush admin, this was a key way progressive attorney generals used attorneys generals used to fight back against federal deregulatory efforts. Expect Becerra and others to pick up those efforts again. Um, if the new administration, blah, 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 we congratulate him. And uh, we're very excited uh, to have that uh, happening. Assemblyman Jimmy Gomez, Jennifer, give me all this, by the way, uh, a Democrat from Los Angeles is jumping into the play to replace representative Xavier Becerra in Congress. He told the times on Monday, the LA times I've decided to run for the 34th congressional district. Now more than ever, we need strong value-based leadership in Washington. Gomez, who was elected to a third term in the legislature, will be announcing his decision uh, this week. Uh, Governor Jerry Brown's surprise decision to nominate Becerra. Everybody sees this as a lateral move, but we're talking about it, and we don't think it is. Uh, Kamala Harris um, wasn't a U.S. senator. She was attorney general of the state of California and went right to the Senate from that post because California doesn't require that you go through every single. Obviously, she had been in a position and she's an intelligent enough person to handle being a senator. You don't need to come from the House to be a senator is what I'm getting at. There's no normal way of progressing. And in a state like California, where she was well known to the constituency, she sailed to a giant victory, as did uh, all Democratic candidates. The state's gone so blue. It's fantastic. Assembly, former Assembly Speaker John A. Perez entered the race last week. Soon after Brown's decision broke, no other contender has jumped in. L.A. politicians include uh, Gil Sidello and L.A.U.S.D. school board member Monica Garcia have been floated as potential candidates. And like that. So uh, the 34th seat is open here. Uh, mind you, there's elections going on all the time. And there's lots of things. Um, let's see here. My Time to Vote. It's called elections.mytimetovote.com. And if you go to that, it tells you all about when every election's coming up. And there's elections all the time, and you can uh, participate in them all the time. Also, I would urge you, having heard anecdotal stories and seen a few myself, um, when you register, make sure you're registered. Because what you, happens is, if you go in on the day and um, you've been struck from the rolls for whatever reason, a computer glitch, a cross-check, whatever it is, they give you a provisional ballot. Yes, it happened to Jennifer and she had to go back on the rolls. Happened to Ryan too. I've got two people sitting right here in front of me who were both struck off the rolls and had to re-register during this last election just so they could vote. Um, neither Jennifer nor Ryan, to the best of my knowledge, is an oppressed person of color in a poor neighborhood. So you see how this can go down on any level. I also know another woman who told me the other day, uh, a friend of mine, uh, that when she got to the voting place, 
on election day was forced to cast a provisional ballot. And provisional ballots, I would say there are not even being counted right now. First, they go through all the mail-in. Then they go through all the pre-voting. Then they go through the ones that have funky marks on them. I think the provisionals get counted last. So um, make sure you're registered. Um, and uh, we have to fight all the voter laws at all times and jazz like that. I think we've about reached uh, everyone here. I, I, I don't want to talk about Crump uh, too much, but I do want to say a couple of things. Uh, this is from another website called Reverb Press, and it's about what we can do to stop Donald Trump because I don't ever want to leave you feeling down. I don't think we should feel down. It's very difficult to get through this day and age. And waking up in the morning, uh, as Billy Wilder said, you have to have a dream just to get up in the morning. Uh, uh, it has been uh, an arduous task. And for the people who are most beleaguered by what's happening and what is going to continue to happen, obviously, uh, it, it, it's an onerous uh, responsibility and horror to get up in the day and think about all the bad things that might happen. But what we can do is be active at all times. Um, sign petitions directed at the Electoral College. Uh, that's at change.org. Uh, call or visit your state representatives. That's at house.gov. Um, you can use the stop, hump, stop Trump hashtag. I don't know about that one, but you, go for it. Uh, you're on social media. Go for it. Uh, boycott the Trump brand. Um, anything that has his, the designer clothes of his daughter, uh, staying at his hotels, uh, frequenting anything that has the word Trump on it. Uh, vote in local elections. Um, if you don't have a candidate that represents you or your community and you have the resources to do so, consider running for office yourself. As I also said, vet everyone like you would vet someone who is going to put their hands inside you and operate on you. Um, make sure you know. Yeah, that's a lot more studying. It means a lot more studying. I'm sorry. This is what this means. Learn how to fact check. A good place to start is the Facebook website. Keep links like Snopes handy and brush up on your critical thinking skills. One of the reasons Trump got elected is the widespread dissemination of sensational fabricated news, and it's only going to get worse. You've got to learn to discern uh, between the truth and a lie. Stand up against bigotry. It's called the bystander effect. If you see something awful happen, stop it. Make immigrants feel welcome. Don't stare at them. Be nice to them. Reach out to poor people, even if they voted for Trump. I agree with that. Reach out to all poor people. The person down the block who's hungry needs your help more than anyone else that we could ever, ever think about. And don't stop talking about it. I like this one. When we stop talking about the issues that are important to us, our representatives assume we don't care. You have to let people know about these issues. The fight's lost when good people stop talking about it. So even though you may be tired of having the same conversation with the same group of people, remember that it's an important conversation to have. I couldn't agree more. Thank you for having this conversation with me. You've been the smartest pot in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. We'll see you in London next week. May every page you turn be satchel page. May every bell that you leave me a cool pop bell. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very May the brusque goat that enters the spa take a liking to you.